0: Greetings and welcome to the Recombobulation Area. My name is Dan Schaefer. Thank you for joining us. The race for Wisconsin Supreme Court happened a couple weeks ago now, but since it was such a big deal for the future of politics in this state, there's a whole lot for us to still be talking about. As we said over and over again in the months prior to this election, you cannot overstate the importance of this race. The ramifications for the victory by Liberal Justice Janet Protosewitz. Flipping the ideological balance of power on the state's highest court are going to be profound. Joining us to talk about the election and those ramifications and much more is Dan Kaufman. Dan is the author of the book, The Fall of Wisconsin, an outstanding and poignant account of the era of conservative conquest in the state, which was published in 2018. He has also written for The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, and The New York Review of Books. His most recent work was in The New Yorker, where he wrote a brilliant, in-depth feature story on the race in the weeks before the election, and then wrote another piece last week after Janet Protasiewicz's resounding victory in the election. So he is our guest today. So Dan, welcome to the Recombobulation Area.
1: Dan, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure and an honor uh, to converse with such an expert on Wisconsin politics. So I'm glad to be here.
0: Oh, likewise absolutely so we've had a couple of weeks now to to process the results of this election you obviously spent a lot of time in wisconsin reporting on this election uh writing about it since so the the night of the election when the results were rolling in and in the time sense has there any, been anything that really surprised you did you expect that type of outcome or
1: um I I didn't expect it exactly, although I wasn't surprised by it. Um, As probably a lot of listeners know, Daniel Kelly lost by a similar margin three years earlier. Um, I definitely felt a similar, I think that election in 2020 was motivated by anger over having to hold an election during COVID. And I felt a, a similar galvanizing of progressive anger around different issues, gerrymandering and abortion most prominently but i also felt like it was kind of the culmination of a lot of anger over the past 12 years of essentially living under minority rule with a radical overturning of the state's past uh particularly around labor law but uh, virtually every aspect of wisconsin's pioneering progressive past was either either overturned or tried to be overturned this you know uh, environmental policy um Labor, voting access, virtually everything that made the state, um, as I describe in my book, a kind of pioneering progressive state that had a big influence on the rest of the country was attempted to be uprooted. And it, and essentially, you know, I remember in, in the Act 10 protest in 2011, people were calling it Mississippi And I think there was an attempt to turn the state into a Southern style right to work anti-labor state with very few restrictions. Um, so... I felt like this election was the first in which um, progressives had an opportunity to try to undo some of the structural changes that Walker had imposed. Obviously, having Governor Evers elected was a huge, um, in terms of stopping further changes, but there was very little opportunity, given the gerrymandered legislature, there still is, uh, until that's changed, of actually reversing it, as you saw in Michigan recently, they repealed the right to work law. I think those kinds of things are now, at least in in theory, possible, and that's what's going to be really interesting to see. And I felt like progressive sensed a very rare opportunity, maybe the last one for a while, to to make inroads in this way. You know, so I I wasn't. Surprised, I saw so much motivation when I was out there reporting and very little enthusiasm for Kelly, who had kind of run a scorched earth campaign against Jennifer Doro, refusing to endorse her. And I think that came back to bite him because, you know, as I mentioned in my piece, she deleted her tweet uh, Twitter account. She never really said much beyond a perfunctory statement endorsing him. And she he I saw a couple of events. One in Racine where she was standing a few feet away from him, and she, he was just Really kind of lashing into her, and it seemed strange because uh while he did win the primary, he definitely engendered some bad will, including among Republican uh supporters of her, some of whom uh when I was up in um Lawrence at an event there was there was a fair number of them that preferred her um for various reasons, and I think they he left bitter taste, you know around the way that, uh, he treated her. So,
0: yeah. And well, and now he has the, uh, the distinction of having been one of the only Wisconsin statewide yeah. candidates to lose a double digit, lose by double digits twice. Uh, and yeah. in a state that has so many razor thin elections, uh, to, to do that twice, it's a pretty, pretty remarkable thing. I just wanted to circle back to one thing that you, that you mentioned there, you know, the kind of, and you detailed this so much in your book, uh, but just how, you know, the the era of conservative conquest under Walker uh, and Robin Voss, and with the conservative majority on the Wisconsin Supreme Court kind of being the backstop for all of that. You know, I think that one of the kind of turning point moments there was Michael Gabelman's election in two thousand eight, kind of setting the stage for that uh, that conservative majority on the court to really be a player. Uh, if they were able to, you know, do what they eventually did and win the governorship, and and when you know the majorities in the legislature and cement those through the gerrymandering and all of that, uh, but what was to really transform the state into something very different from what it was, and right. I think right now, if you look at, you know, there's all these kind of different maps of how, uh, you know, did different states have reacted to different policy changes, you know, after, after, over the past decade or whatever, but. Wisconsin is very much on an island now in the Midwest in a lot of ways, whether it's something like accepting the Medicaid expansion dollars or having any kind of legal marijuana, whether it's medicinal or recreational or mm-hmm. the abortion decision. There was, you know, Washington mm-hmm. Post had a map this weekend about, uh, you know, abortion rights. And Wisconsin was the only one in, uh, in the Midwest that had uh, as an extreme a ban. I think you even put it in your piece that it was perhaps the most extreme abortion ban anywhere in the country there's um, nothing
1: more extreme yeah. i think yeah yeah that's true
0: yeah yeah and so so one of the ways that i characterize the victory for protosevich is that it offers this kind of reset moment for wisconsin mm-hmm. politics going forward where we're not you know in this situation where conservative majority conquest that has that has really changed wisconsin over the past 12 years that era i think is coming to a close and I, I wrote that it is the series finale of the scott walker era uh I, i'd be curious to see if you agree with that you know obviously there's always going to be a couple bad spin-off series of, of a show that's been on for a long time uh but is that something you agree with that this this is that reset moment that this is the end of that era
1: i think it i think that's that's probably right and i think going back to what you were saying you know, it's funny because I don't think those policy changes were ever particularly popular. Those, yeah. you know, the, the the electorate, it reminds me of that line by Bertolt Brecht, the famous German writer. He was like, would it not be easier to dissolve the people and elect another? I mean, they, they still had the population of Wisconsin. And while divide and conquer worked to narrowly win these victories, Walker was never he I don't think he ever won more than 52 percent. But they had the dark money behind them, the democratic infrastructure was very moribund. I mean, I think that was a key factor in my book. And it's not just that Ben Wickler is the head of the party now or this or that, but you have also groups like Law Forward. And more importantly, you have these citizen activists like Mary Lynn Donahue, profiled My piece, or Dr. Kristen Lyerly, that never gave up on the state Um and could persisted and kept organizing, even though it's, it was doomed. For example, Mary Lynn, you know, I mean, she ran for assembly and didn't get more than 41 points and she ran her heart out. She did everything. And she said to me, you know, this didn't make it into the piece, but she said, you know, I could have probably done nothing and gotten 41%. At the same time, her efforts helped elect Evers and, you know, and that was really important that that People never got so demoralized because I think part of it, they were so angry, you know, that their state had been taken away from these ideals. So to get back to your question, I think it does um, signify an end. I think that the the next part is where how far it will go to restoring what the state once was in terms of um voter access, voter registration, abortion rights, all kinds of things, labor rights, and so on, what the long-term implications of these efforts will be. For example, there was a piece in the Times about while Michigan has repealed the law, it has done significant damage to the labor movement. And that is not so easy to restore. I've always had this belief that it's much easier to destroy something, especially a progressive achievement that took you know, Babu followed, and many decades to to win some of these things, um, than to build it up again. And the third thing is, you know, what the coalition around these victories will be. Will, for example, Republican-leaning suburbanites want to restore labor rights, or will they go along with an economically populist agenda? I will say, though, that I do agree with you, and that it is the end of a certain kind of era and you can see it just kind of hanging on for dear life from Mike Gallagher's comments. And this, this idea, this anti-democratic idea, and they were beaten so badly that I think that did shock them and you could see it in their responses, Walker and others um, lamenting the youth vote was very important Um, as well as the recapturing, I think of the Driftless area, which I think has been really important to Wisconsin's long-term political history. And, you know, there was a bit of writing off of rural areas that wasn't necessarily, certainly not in Wisconsin. You know, they had helped elect Russ Feingold many several times. And, you know, it's a really important addition to the Madison and Milwaukee access a little bit far North in Ashland. And, and now you see around the Fox Valley that that's also changing. So, There's a lot of opportunities. I think there's a lot of questions too. But yeah, I do, I agree with you. It's a long-winded answer that I do agree Mm -hmm. that um, that era is over. And you saw its staleness. You saw there was an image of um, Walker with Liz Truss, the former UK prime minister who was known for her austerity economics. And ironically, you know, Trump to some degree put an end to that, although he didn't change it substantively. He did attack NAFTA and free trade rhetorically and kind of Walker then aligned himself very closely to him. And Trump never actually did anything. In fact, manufacturing eroded under his rule, but he did change the rhetoric. And it's it's kind of interesting to see what will emerge out of the Republican Party because the Paul Ryan, Scott Walker, you know, libertarian Charles Koch worldview is really passe electorally. And I think you saw that. Um, And where they'll go is an open question, but they have no majority. And that's been clear for a while. They've been hanging on to their legislative thing because that's all, you know, I mean, the Dems, progressives have won 15 of the last 18 statewide elections. So at some point, you know, it's going to cut deeply into their
0: power base. Yeah, I think, you know, even just thinking about the news from the weekend, I think Trump trashing like basically 40 years of conservative Republican policy on things like social security and and entitlements and not a whisper from, you know, really any establishment Republicans pushing back on that, you know? And and so I think even if they, even if he, you know, more or less governed as a Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell Republican in a lot of ways, the, the messaging from Trump has, has always been kind of, you know, getting more at that, it, it kind of running counter to the kind of Paul Ryan austerity politics.
1: Right. You know, party. and it's funny to mention that, Dan. And it was like, it's something that I've worked on exposing in various articles. I wrote a piece about Michigan because it's really just nothing but rhetoric, empty rhetoric. I was in Youngstown for two months doing a photo project uh, in a photo essay. And he would he went to Youngstown and said, we're going to bring these factories back. And it meant a lot to the the place has been totally hollowed out, like probably worse even than anywhere in southeastern wisconsin but similar mm-hmm. to like uh, places in milwaukee around 30th street corridor and stuff but um it's just no. unbelievable yeah. and he went there and he and he did pay attention to them and to be and you know a lot democrats have been avoiding that for a long time in fact the clinton said so there was that but it was funny because in 2016 in my book and i describe it i, I you know chris taylor a wonderful state rep who's now running for judge she won a seat for judge mm-hmm. she was a Essentially, an Alec kind of spy, um, and she joined Alec because it's it's a nonpartisan group. And I and I was at this Alec conference writing about it, and I you know the keynote speaker after he had just been selected uh, to be vice president was Mike Pence, and he was there to essentially reassure them. Stephen Moore was there. All of the um, neoliberal economics right-wing economics people were there. And they were there to reassure that crowd that Trump was indeed one of them, mm-hmm. despite these rhetorical bombast around protecting Social Security and so on and so forth. So, you know, it was clear to me. And and but, you know, I think also you had the vacuum of the Democratic Party at that time. Remember that Clinton, Hillary had supported these agreements, really. And, and you see this intense political focus in the Rust Belt, like all of our elections are essentially decided by the rust belt you know one way or another and mm-hmm. michigan wisconsin pennsylvania ohio and that is where this the the process of deindustrialization has been so intense and right. it pre- created this this opening for trump to seize on it but i also think that some of it was created by walker in a different form although he had nicer manners the divide and conquer strategy had been utilized successfully by him to break the labor movement, but just generally to gin up resentment yeah. from rural people in a context of really rapidly eroding economic security. Well, you know, you saw the, the decline of dairy farming, these rural communities hollowed out like Kendall, Wisconsin and Driftless area. I mean, that was one of the last bastions of, of workable agriculture because topography prevents um corporate farms, it makes it harder for them. So you had more cohesion and dairy was sort of the last person standing for the small family farm. And then, then that went out, it was just like the anger, you know, where's it gonna go? You know what I mean? So anyway, I think all of those things are, are playing into it.
0: Well and I think you, you know, you mentioned places like the Driftless region and, and the Fox Valley doing well with for to Say what she did really well in a lot of these counties. I mean she was right. up over 60% in a lot of these kind of western Wisconsin Counties, and I think, you know, obviously the abortion rights issue was such a big one in this race, and you know, I grew up in Waukesha County, so I so I saw this in my backyard. There's a lot of religious conservatives who have this the, the anti-abortion issue as like their main issue, right? I I don't think that's necessarily been the case for a lot of the you know Western Wisconsin Fox Valley type of conservatives that had gravitated towards. The, the kind of that Trump economic message if not in practice the economic messaging of it of that that has you know kind of created a lot of those Obama Trump counties and and sure. and whatever yeah. else so I think you know the um you know I, I think that is kind of a callback to you know kind of the pre-trump era of of Western was you know kind of that third congressional right. district the Fox Valley a lot of sure. these places yeah. that are not e- exactly the you know kind of religious conservatives, that are part of the right. Republican Party, but are, are kind of like the the new additions to that coalition that that Trump brought in. But I think that is that has changed a whole lot. Uh, I want to go back to one of the examples that I think really resonated in your New Yorker piece, uh, and you mentioned her Marilyn Donahue. Uh, yeah, she, again, uh, Marilyn's
1: so, a really great character. Yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah.
0: yeah, and you know her story really resonated. I think in the in the longer piece that you wrote before the election, but also in the piece that you wrote following the election where she was, I think you quoted her as saying, our local party has been transformed. Yep. Tell me a little bit about, about that and and about you know just speaking with her in general.
1: Well, Mary Lynn was just a wonderful um, protagonist. She's a lot like many of the characters in my book. The people that I feel like are the heart of my reporting, which is I always try to find a way to kind of report from the bottom up, if you will, rather than focus on, politicians sometimes I mean I always do that as well but I feel like some of these it's so much more vivid if you find um, an ordinary citizen like her there was another person named Lori Compass Randy Bryce of course and who was an iron worker when I first met him just a local union activist Um, and they were really um, interesting journalistically and narratively for me because I just find it you know, there's so many articles about politicians, and you can—it's hard to get as intimate with a politician as you can with somebody that is unguarded. And Mary Lynn,
0: especially is a in very this day and com- age when they—they they all have like exactly, like exactly, blacks telling you what to, <laughs> what you can and exactly. can't exactly. Right? Um,
1: and I just find it more compelling because also to me, it speaks to what made Wisconsin very special, which is a very citizen-oriented politics. For example, I grew up in the '70s and '80s. And my mother-in-law was a lobbyist for um, child care and Head Start and so on. You could just walk into a state legislator's office. I mean, there was and there were Republicans supporting her uh, policy agenda. It was very um, there was a lot of bipartisan support for just sort of common sense things. Um, but Mary Lynn was a dynamic character. She's remained committed. She was one of the plaintiffs in the Whitford case, which was the landmark gerrymandering case. She was a lawyer. She has a wonderful, colorful story. She went to Italy as an exchange student. And then she went to she got accepted to auto mechanics school and law school. She got rejected. I mean, she got rejected for auto mechanics school. She took a 10 month trip and she went to law school. She moved back to Sheboygan. She started a, a law, a legal services. She worked for legal services outfit that was funded by a federal government program, mostly working with domestic violence, abuse, tenant disputes and so on. So She's always been a very community oriented activist. And she talked about the gerrymandering very compellingly in terms of, you know, also the difficulty of recruiting. Like gerrymandering has an attritional effect that I think is under known the withering of local parties. Like it gets hard to find a sacrificial lamb every two years. And, you know, you need that. And she, But she was like, I mean, this woman is just so committed. I mean, she's just out there, like, and she ran herself when there was nobody else she could get in 2020. She ran a really spirited race, largely because she knew she was going to lose, but she wanted to help turn out for Governor Evers. But she's just, and she's a president of the school board. And as I say in the piece, she was as focused or she was as happy about holding these school board seats and these... um city council seats as she was about, uh, Jana Protasewicz's victory. And I think that speaks to her really super grassroots belief. And I think in Sheboygan's really interesting because it's like this textbook case of a kind of extreme gerrymandering, the community was cut in half Mm -hmm. violating the principle of communities of interest have, you know, for decades, it had been this, um, Democratic city. And then the outlying areas was a Republican district, you know, and that changed um, radically. And they've never elected a Democrat since 2011. Um, And what's interesting about Sheboygan is it's an old labor town. It had it's the site of the longest strike in American history, the Kohler strike. And so out of that, it became a very Democratic leaning um, city. And you feel like there. And she would talk to me about how their needs like how the state legislators stopped showing up for you know breakfast with the school board, just kind of the the basic glue of sort of coherent governance has just been withered and hollowed out so much in Wisconsin. You could see it in many ways. that was one small way, and then you see it, you know, the state legislature is sitting on billions of dollars that isn't going out to communities that really need it, you know, um all over the state. you saw. It's a legacy of still of Walker's this austerity mindset rooted in this radical libertarian economics that's essentially been disastrous for the state in terms of gutting of public education. These sort of bipartisan goods that were admired by for for decades. The University of Wisconsin, you know, has fallen. Um, you know, it was one of the top five research schools. It's no longer. Um, all of these public institutions, that was a really bedrock principle of the old Wisconsin. And that was a bipartisan norm that we were really proud of our schools, proud of, you know, of the university system, the DNR, all of these things have been hollowed out. And I think you see that in many iterations in Sheboygan, you see it because, you know, Mary Lynn is now the school board president. She's seeing uh, you know, a lot struggle to get adequate funding. You know, and you see it in Milwaukee, an extreme case, and I and I think that is another legacy of this erosion of democracy. You know, and there is basically the legislature is immune to elections, and and that has uh, protected them.
0: Well, and I was making this point the night of the election too, but but I think one person that does deserve, you know, some blame from their own party on on the results there is robin voss because i think they have become so unaccountable and so unresponsive to voters uh especially over the last four years after after evers was elected they just basically spent four years obstructing him at all costs you know we had you know basically a dozen times where they would gavel in and gavel out refuse to discuss the issues and and like you mentioned in you know in communities all over the states whether it's School boards, whether it's local government, you know, there's been all these there's been this huge spike in needing uh, to take these funding proposals to the voters through a referenda at the local level through right. fund schools to fund, you know, other community services and things like that. And uh, like you mentioned, at the same time, they're sitting on the seven billion dollar surplus and they've right. just been so unaccountable and they pushed things so far. And I think Robin Voss in particular, you know, I think there was before the the maps were actually introduced. There was some talk that I had heard that, oh, they're not going to go as far as they did last time with the 2011 maps. They're they're going to moderate a little bit. Well, the opposite happened, of course. right? Which right, is right, that right. They, they tried to introduce, ma- or they did introduce maps that were even more of an extreme gerrymander than what many considered to be the most extreme partisan gerrymander in the Ironically country.
1: Ironically violating the order for least change, which, you know, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%.
0: And I think he just pushed things so far and, you know, refusing both times to even have a discussion when when Evers called special sessions on abortion rights. You know, I think that that is such a big part of, you know, the way people have responded in the state Supreme Court election with this blowout victory, which is just I think you had a lot of independence seeing a broken system. And it's I think and, you're right. You I have a broken right. system. Yeah. You have to change the fundamentals. And I think the way to change the fundamentals was presented in an opportunity with the state Supreme Court race to flip that balance and and alter the fundamentals so we can get at, you know, starting to address the problems of that broken system.
1: I agree with you 100%. And I think they don't know yet how to be a rational opposition party anymore. They've totally forgotten it because they've been used to getting their own way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the old adage, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. They've unlearned just normal basic thing. You could see it when Dale Schultz, who was a protagonist in my book was totally ostracized just for being normal old school, Wisconsin Republican. He didn't vote for act 10. He was against it Mm -hmm. um, because nobody in his district was for it. He was against the mine in Northern Wisconsin. Because he thought it was a bad idea, but he was still a Republican. But they just completely cast him out, and um, it was like my way of the highway. Interestingly, too, Voss was it almost like their extremism came up to bite them with the Gableman stuff, which was like they were caught between rock and a place that they had created. You know, and I think you know, for when I was at reporting a story for the New Yorker about the Stop the Steal kind of movement he was reviled at these, um, local Republican boss was, yeah. I mean, they wanted, and there was a whole, you remember there was a drive to oust him as speaker, but there was a real grassroots because, and he had these big blowouts with Tim Rampton, who was their hero. Um, but you know, you can't put the gene, they've let the genie out of the bottle and then they were trying to put it back in, but you know, that's not going to work. um, very well and he came within a few hundred votes of losing his seat to a writing candidate and nobody um as as far as i knew it was nobody um and just because trump endorsed him and um you know i think they're in a really tough spot because as you say that scott walker model of republicanism the paul ryan with you know the nice manners but the well with voss it's not necessarily (laughs) but um but you know the um
0: that sort of that chamber of commerce style yeah, chamber
1: of commerce, but very hardcore economically. I mean, very anti-labor and, but yet not with, um, not with the same kind of vitriol of uh, the, the Trump and and the MAGA, um, you know, and they can present in a certain kind of way, but, um, but yeah, I don't see that movement when they're neither here nor there. It sort of seems to me, they don't have any kind of, connection to economic populism. In fact, they disdain it and and that they're not going to moderate sufficiently enough to capture democratic or progressive votes. So I I just don't know how they win a majority. Um, at the same time, you know, parties reinvent themselves. And I think one of my concerns is, you know, how far I guess I just well, maybe the concern is wrong, but question marks is like, will the erosion what does the erosion of the Milwaukee suburbs mean, like long term beyond obviously abortion rights and a kind of anti Trump, anti MAGA sentiment was impacting it to a degree? And maybe other forces are also contributing to its change. But if that goes for them, I don't see how they win majorities, you know, without that to counteract Dane County and, you know, Milwaukee itself, as well as the Driftless. So it'll be interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you touched on it in your piece, too, is just saying that these coalitions can be, you know, especially suburban coalitions. You don't know if that's going to be a reliable part and and of, uh, you know, a Democratic co- coalition going forward, uh, considering how, how much things have swung that could swing back. You know, these things are never mm-hmm. exactly linear. Um, but but I do think, you know, considering all the infighting in the Republican Party that we're seeing, and I think we're already seeing some of it as as you know talk of challenging Tammy Baldwin uh in 2024 uh has has begun in earnest with her announcement of her her uh re-election campaign last week. Uh so there's going to be, you know, some concerns there as well. So but but I do think, you know, just the way Dane County is, the way the suburbs are shifting, it's going to be it's definitely a challenge for Republicans on the statewide level.
1: Yeah, um, and the local vote. And you know, maybe Wisconsin is an avatar, you know, for in 2011 it was had become it was kind of on the forefront of being a conservative laboratory. And I think some of what you're seeing, partly because of the extremism, is a backlash among young people, and so on working class people that is going to grow. And maybe Wisconsin is the first um, place, you know, and the the Democrats have done a very good job recently of organizing their coalition, you know, Mm -hmm. so it could be
0: yeah. Some of the numbers with young people, too. And I mean, those are exactly voting for the first time, you know, in the midterms and, and in this election. Like, it's it's really it's a really encouraging thing.
1: Exactly. Um, and I think a lot of it is groundwork that people like Mary Lynn just not giving up. You know, people like Bill Hogseth. I don't know if you know him. He's the Dunn County uh, Democratic chair. And he was he's also founded this new group called Grow. He's really interested in rural, you know, the monopolization of agriculture and Um, But he's organizing. And I think there's this sense that there's a lot of hard lessons that were learned by progressives um, through those years in the wilderness that, Mm -hmm. you know, they've been able to capitalize on. And, and, um, and you've beginning, you're seeing the fruits of it now, you know, anyway, sorry, I mean,
0: and I I think, and I've made this point over and over again, because when I write about, I read a lot about the Wisconsin State Legislature, of course, and in those, you know, races you know that the candidate is almost certainly going to lose. And I think it's really honorable and important thing for a lot of those candidates to to throw their hat into the ring because of the exact fact that you're talking about with the example from Sheboygan, which is that if you invest in these races, you, get, you can start building the long-term infrastructure to create a lot of the lasting political change, a lot, create some lasting political power from the grassroots level. And I think, you know, we've seen that, you know, I I think obviously, you know, people, a lot of people talk about Ben Wickler and the change of the democratic party. And I think that's all important, but I think so much of it is just women getting organized in their own communities. Uh, And I think there's so many examples, you know, here in, here in the Southeastern Wisconsin and the suburbs in particular, you know, I had people like motherhood for good and the persisters and like all these different groups that have, have really gotten involved. And, And the women who have been running in these, you know, assembly races, state Senate races, you know, we saw the one with, uh, in the eighth Senate district, Jody Habersenican coming up just short uh, of, of winning that one. And well, but, but that is going to build the, the long-term momentum. Uh, and I think that's a really important part. Oh, and of that. I think
1: you saw it so like a we lot. I got a couple, we yeah. only got a couple more yeah, yeah, minutes yeah. before yeah. I
0: let you go. So I, yeah. I got to end on one question here, Yeah, please, uh, please. which is, so I referenced your book in the piece that I wrote uh, in the, after the, after the election. And I wrote that you know, uh, you, you exhaustively and poetically detailed the many ways the state plunged in this era of conservative con- conquest in the fall of Wisconsin. So, have we, is this the moment where Wisconsin stops falling?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think um, that. I mean, I you could argue that that even happened in 2018. When um, Evers was elected and in the afterward to my book, there's a chapter where I'm at the inauguration. So the extreme damage. Yeah, I think, you know, that is another it's an it's a moment that I think is possibly the moment when you see how far and whether the state will be restored in a meaningful way to some version of its prior Self, I do think it possibly has stopped falling some time ago, but whether or not it can be those lowercase d democratic ideals can be restored in a meaningful way. And I think this court election was arguably the most important of them all as far as that,
0: mm-hmm. because
1: so many of these issues are kind of tied, tied into that and some of the decisions the court has such a profound role as an enabler of this conservative conquest and i think you know maybe yeah it, it's going to augur just as gableman augured in the beginning of the conservative era partly before maybe this is the beginning of some other kind uh some other demarcation point it will it, you know it's hard to know yeah. but something's going on in wisconsin that reflects something larger i think that's going on in, in the rest of the country and i think that's why this race resonated so much beyond the state's borders, you know, it was both the importance of the state as a pivotal swing state, but also the sense that you could reclaim that democracy could be preserved. You know, those issues were really paramount. You you saw that they came within one vote of throwing out hundreds of thousands of ballots from two counties, uh, which is quite remarkable. And they were, as I mentioned in the piece, it's the only state Supreme court to even entertain uh, one of these Trump lawsuits. So that even hold a hearing. So,
0: you know. Well, Wisconsin has has found its way back from the brink. What happens next is unclear, but uh, I'm I look forward to uh, any other further coverage you might have because it's always a treat to uh, to read your words about Wisconsin. So well thank you, so thank much you Dan it's been a pleasure. Us. I'm
1: sure we'll be talking again in the near uh, future, I hope. And uh, best of luck. I'm a big fan of the recombobulation area. Keep up the great work. All
0: right. Well thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Sam.